0: Benito Trump is Trump's authoritarian turn, actually going to register with the American public. I'm Matt Robeson. It's the Balance of Power Roundtable, which is part of our Beyond Politics podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being on. Thanks for everyone who is hitting those follow and subscribe buttons. It's really annoying that the buttons are named different things on different platforms, but that's the world we live in. Speaking of which, We've got Alicia Preston, our conservative. I called you an annihilator last time, which is my favorite I like it. word. You're a conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant, and former two-term Democratic U.S. Congressman and musician Paul Hodes. I don't know. That last part seems more fun.
1: I'm having a lot of fun.
0: Speaking of fun, Donald Trump is going full Mussolini. It's like he's been playing footsie with being an authoritarian fascist. Now he has said the quiet part out loud. This is maybe the greatest quote in history. I just, I love this so much. I don't even know what to do with it. So Donald Trump made the, not Donald Trump's quote. That was not that surprising. Over the weekend, he called his political opponents vermin who must be stopped, which is phraseology right out of Adolf Hitler, and Benito Mussolini. But here's the quote I really love. Okay, you ready? Trump campaign spokesman, I'm quoting from uh, WAPO here. Trump Mm -hmm. campaign spokesman, Stephen Chung, responded with a statement that didn't quite put the issue to bed, calling the comparison a ridiculous assertion from Snowflakes, whose, quote, entire existence will be crushed when President Trump returns to the White House. Clean up on aisle irony, Stephen. Alicia, defend your boy.
2: You know, what's funny is it's not funny. I like to laugh at some of Trump's nonsense. I really do. Because it's just, and he's getting more and more deranged on his truth social posts by the day. But this one isn't funny. And it's not funny because this is on the heels of his interview with Univision, where he said he's president again, and I'm paraphrasing, and people are doing well against him. He'll go down to the, go down and say indict them. This is no- it's not a joke anymore. It's not a laugh at Trump who thinks he's he wants to be Putin. This is Trump saying, I'm going to be like Putin or Mussolini or whomever else was an authoritarian dictator and will remain in the annals of the bad history of our world. And I, I don't know why people aren't waking up. There are so many people cheering this on. It's crazy. And then the response from the spokesman, we're gonna crush our opponents, it's insane. <laughs> It's just insane.
0: It's just it's so deliciously like morale will improve. Beatings will continue until morale. It's just like Steven, buddy, Booby. What the hell, man? This is I I can't tell. I literally can't tell if there's self-awareness there and he's like just leaning into it or if if he's so daft that he thinks that he's somehow quelling this point and, and trying to perform cleanup. Sorry, Paul.
1: I mean, what he's listening to Steve Bannon and Steve Miller, the Steves. So the Steves have a plan. And the plan is they want to exterminate the vermin. Uh, That's people like me, because this is coming at a time when we're dealing with what we're dealing with Israel. And we've just seen this horrific attack uh, by Hamas who want to exterminate all the Jews. So for Trump, echo Hitler, for Trump to plagiarize from Hitler. On the one hand, you might say he's suffering from delusional parasitosis, the notion that the delusion that there are bugs everywhere. But for him, it's not a delusion. This is the mind of the man who is leading in the polls to be president of the United States. And we need to take it very seriously. This is ha- inciting. This is in insightful hate speech of the most direct odious type and he i mean why a judge hasn't locked him up yet for breaking gag rules why nobody is going after him in some way for this speech why there has not been a peep from malicious party there is I, not I, but i think it goes
0: deeper I, I think it goes deeper than than hate speech because that's trump's sort of go-to move to defend himself, if we all recall his defense after the grab by the you know what comment on the Access Hollywood tape in 2016. He comes out in the next debate and he says, it's just words. It's just locker room talk. Words. But it's not just words. this
1: This is not just words. This is not just locker room talk. This is inciting well, no, I'm going beyond that. It's not the incitement that
0: bothers me. What bothers me is that there's an entire plan behind it. What is You've this is what me. the this is what the poet Marianne Moore called "imaginary gardens with real toads in them." It's one thing we've all become inured to Trump's deranged meanderings, and if this were just an imaginary garden in Trump's mind, who gives a shit ultimately? But this is. Because we've heard him like incendiary talk, but then the rubber meets the road, he can't quite do it. There is an actual action plan to do this, and Axios has summarized it. It's called Agenda 47, or variously the Heritage Foundation version is Plan 2025. Is there ever been a plan, what that you call like plan this from the right wing that's been good? This is like Chairman Mao's fifth five-year plan. So Axios summarizes it as, Four things that they have laid out very detailed plans to do. One, he's going to unleash the Justice Department. Their words, Trump insider words, unleash the Justice Department, the FBI, and the intelligence community to go after his political enemies. Two, second priority, Department of Homeland Security, that's where Paul, your thing, sprawling camps, Jonathan Miller's words, to try to deport people by the millions each year. Out, literally go round people up, find them, deport them, or put them in camps, or both. Number three, there's the thing, Paul, last year, we had Jerry Connell, your former colleague in Congress, Virginia Congressman, who heads up the committee that oversees these things, talk about Schedule F, which is the plan to replace up to 50,000 federal employees with Trump loyalists who would then determine who gets government help based on their loyalty to Trump. And then number four is remaking the plans for the Pentagon along truly frightening lines. So that's just my point is that I I think that the insight, you're right, Paul, the incitement is, is bad and it's real. I'm more worried about the plans for government that go underneath it, that put real toads into these imaginary gardens.
2: That's why I said this one's scary. I mean, I agree with everything all you have said. The only thing, Paul, is you might be vermin, but I'm a traitor as well. So let's not forget, if you look at the incendiary language, the only thing worse than leftists who don't like don't support Donald Trump are Republicans who don't support Donald Trump. And I get called every name in the book, sometimes directly, sometimes just indirectly because of any Republican who doesn't support Donald Trump as a traitor to this nation, because people have completely confused what that means. I would say Donald Trump's a traitor to this nation with everything he has done and proposed and January 6th and what he is planning on doing if reelected. But then I'm going to flip the switch on you guys and say there's only one reason that Donald Trump has a prayer of becoming president, and that's because Joe Biden's going to be the Democrat nominee. Nobody else would possibly lose to Donald Trump. And I think there's time and you guys should, I'm I'm team David Axelrod, figure it out. All right, let's
0: talk about that for a second. Although I will put a, a, a the, please understand this in the vein of like the darkest of dark humor. I'm not sure, I'm literally not sure, Alicia, whether you as a traitor to Trump or me and Paul as Jewish dudes should be making plans to shelter the other in a future Trump presidency. I'm literally not sure about that anymore. So that's where we've gotten to. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Yeah, so you wanted to talk about what you described as the pissing match between the president of the United States and David Axelrod. What do you mean by that? In case people haven't heard of it.
2: So David Axelrod wrote an opinion piece last weekend, I think it was, and saying that Joe Biden should not run for re-election. And Biden subsequently in a meeting called him a prick. Can I say that word on here? Yeah, we can yeah. that. Yeah, you you can
0: say worse than that.
2: Came back, doubled down on what he said that Joe Biden shouldn't run for several reasons, his age being a a large leaning one and said it's not the first time I'm called a prick. And and I'm with David Axelrod. I think that and not because I want a Democrat president, but I'd happily take one over Donald Trump for the sake of the United States of America's existence. But it shouldn't be this close. It shouldn't be this close. And the reason there's a host of reasons that. It's this close. The, the country feels like crap right now for a million reasons. And Joe Biden's president. And whether it's his fault or not, I think some things aren't. He's going to get blamed for him. And Trump is owning the anger of the electorate right now. I still personally don't think Donald Trump is a parent winning, but it shouldn't be this close.
0: It shouldn't be this close for any number of reasons, but it doesn't matter. You're right. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, what those reasons are it is it just it this is where things are i was interviewed on the radio yesterday i put the show in the beyond politics podcast feed which by the way if you're listening right now thank you once again hey now would be an awesome time to just pop down and leave us a five-star rating and review again things that help us out but you know i howard asked me well what about this notion about Maybe Biden looking at these polling numbers and saying, for the good of the country, I should drop out. And I said, I'm open-minded to that idea six months ago. At this point, I think we're all pot committed on Biden. If we want to avoid this fascist nut job becoming president of the United States again, I mean, Donald Trump, I don't think that there is another way out. I, I don't think at this stage, it is actually a better situation for Biden to suddenly drop out. And polling throughout the last few days has continued to confirm that the other possibilities, Jared Polis, Kamala Harris, Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom, they're not necessarily polling any better against Donald Trump. And all these things sound good until the rubber meets the road. We just don't know what's going to happen in the course of the campaign. And I tend to think based on all of the data and all of the evidence, that the best bet for averting the end of the country is still Joe Biden, as weak as he seems right now. Let's take a break, we'll be right back. Paul, what do you think?
1: I hear the polls, I hear Democrats wringing their hands and the Democrats currently somewhat divided by the events in Israel. At the end of the day, I think Democrats and most independents coalesce around Biden. They swallow any concerns about his age. And as somebody once said, don't compare me to the almighty, Almighty, compare me to the alternative. And when you stack Biden up against the alternative, he could be 96 wheelchair and he's still a better bet than the orange Hitler.
0: I think that is uh, very easy to say. I mean, the other thing and Alicia, I'll turn this back to you. There were some interesting headlines survey done by the Financial Times showing that only 14% of U.S. voters say Joe Biden has made them better off. And what's interesting is that what they are specifically asking is, are you financially better off than before the start of Joe Biden's and only 14% say yes. And the reality is they're wrong about that, that the average checking account, savings account and job status for Americans has gotten better. And now that real wages have finally gotten out ahead of the rate of inflation, people are again, extra better off than they were. We've seen this effect before. And we saw it in 1984. People remember the Morning in America ad. The Morning in America ad claimed that it, because of President Reagan's economic policies, jobs were coming back and inflation was down. The reality is that was not true compared to the beginning of Reagan's term. It was true compared to the disastrous recession and and high inflation that we experienced in late 1981 and 1982, and people's memories were fuzzy. So what people have found as they focused, grouped, and done extensive testing when surveying with voters is what Alicia is saying is right. Voter perceptions are kind of locked in on this. And they and the term Bidenomics isn't helping anything. There are only two things that Democrats can do that help a little bit. One is to start with empathy and to say, this is painful we get it people feel really bad about their prospects and when people hear that first they feel a little bit better and then if you're able to trigger them and and remind them of where things were when trump was president and where things were not only economically but just in terms of the general feeling of everything spiraling out of control they become even more open to biden's economic Messaging and the perception that maybe they are actually a little bit better off. Though that's as far as the research seems to have taken us at this point. So, Alicia, let me ask you, communications analyst: Can Biden turn this around if we're locked in with him?
2: Well, look, per- perception is reality, right? All of us talk all the time about how the cost of living has increased significantly, and. I work with a lot of people whose wages don't increase in the same manner as an hourly wage or a salary wage employee. And so a lot of us, my household included, our costs have gone up and our income is not commensurate with our increase in our budget. And that's what a lot of us are in reality dealing with. I'm not attributing the blame to anyone in particular because that's a failed argument. But that is why so many people are potentially going to vote for Trump because they forget what it was like when he was president. They just don't like what's going on now.
0: So if we're riding with the horse that we're on, right, old, old gray Mary, what she used to be, how would you, if you're sitting in the White House and you're saying, Joe, here's what you need to do, how would you advise him to get over this hump in the most effective way possible?
2: Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head to start, and that is empathy. And tell your fellow Democrats, Joe, that get on news shows to stop telling me that what I see at my budget, my weekly budgeting and my kitchen table isn't true, because that's offensive to most Americans. When you've got all these economic eggheads out there saying, oh, it's not true. Oh, it's not real. I'm going to react and go, what the hell do you know about what's going on in my household? So I would say, Joe, first of all, empathize and ask the people who speak in your favor to empathize, too. Two, give us some hope give us some optimism. Take t- Barack Obama, not a fan, never voted for him. He won on hope. He won on good future. Right. And Joe Biden needs to do the same thing. Give us something to smile about, because right now we've got a lot to frown on.
0: Paul, a question for you. And I'm I, this is a trick question because there's an answer I want you to give after our discussion last week about pivoting. But that's just my personal desires. W- what would you say? You're sitting in the White House, Joe says, "Paul, I haven't seen you in a minute. Thanks, thanks so much for co-chairing Barack's campaign in 2008. Looking for your advice. What do you tell him?"
1: Joe, just don't let anybody photograph you below the waist walking, because <laughs> you, you're a little slowed down. So just it's above the waist for all photos. Number one, number two, consider more Jill. Jill is great. She really, when you're with Jill, you look. A lot younger and peppier. Let's have more Jill out there. Number three, just smile all the time, no matter what anybody says. When Alicia Preston, the annulator, comes at you with all her laundry list of bad stuff. Just smile and say, We have a lot of work to do. And uh, and just smile more.
2: That I all right. That
0: wasn't the answer. Is that the answer you wanted?
1: No. Okay. No, it wasn't the answer (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't the answer. You wanted something serious like Joe.
0: No, I'll tell you what I want. I sound like it's like the joke on Seinfeld about about the movie phone guy. When Kramer becomes the movie, why don't you just tell me what you want? Here's what I have in mind. I'll road test this with you guys. I get it. Times are tough. People's expenses are high. The cost of your groceries is up. And I'm working double time on all of that. Let's not forget that when I took office, it was utter chaos in America because of Donald Trump. And bringing back someone who tried to overthrow the government, who will take away women's right to choose, and who is the master of chaos, will not help our economy, will not bring your grocery bills down. And we have to stop that at all costs. I would find a way to empathize and attack. To me, that's the formula. I wouldn't talk about any of my accomplishments personally, as much as that sucks. That said, there are other smart people in the White House who might disagree based on the example of Andy Bashir in Kentucky, who was able to point to positive accomplishments, just didn't label them Bidenomics, was able to run on infrastructure and and, and positives. But I don't know. I'm not Mr. Hopi Changey right now. I'm Mr. Oh, Slash yeah. What about your guy?
1: Slash and burn, baby.
0: Alicia, when, Do you, you, guys, when you make my pivot.
2: Yours isn't bad. I would I like
1: it. How about I'm running against a guy who thinks he's Adolf Hitler. And that's not what we want in America. He wants to undercut our democracy. He wants to destroy our democracy, along with all those Republican colleagues of his that Alicia Preston over here supports so strongly. And I think it's time that we protect a woman's right to choose and protect our democracy. You don't want Alicia Preston and her Republicans <laughs> in the White House. They want to just shut down our economy. They want to shut down our government. And Adolf, the orange Adolf Hitler wants to destroy our democracy and put people put people in camps. That's not the America I see.
2: See, I would, I was going to say I wouldn't go quite as far as Matt, and I definitely wouldn't go quite as far as Paul. I would say, you know what, mention the chaos, leave it at that. Let people remember. Don't get into overthrow the government because there are people who don't follow it like we do and don't know if it was that. Certainly, calling Trump Hitler and going to that extreme, you're going to have pushback. I mean, you want to get the suburban mom. That's who you need to vote in mass for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. And they don't like the anger. They don't like the hate. They don't like the chaos. Remind them of the chaos. So do what you did, but keep it at chaos. And then remind them, what is Donald Trump telling you he'll do? Here's what I'll do. What is he saying he'll do? Leave the question out there about these issues. Because Donald Trump is not talking about inflation. He's talking about the border the way you guys are talking about it, or repeating it. He's going to round them all up and put them in camps or whatever nonsense. But he's not talking about the homeless crisis or the drug problem or the wars. He's not talking about any of this. He's on a revenge tour. I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago and I referred to him getting elected as his four-year revenge tour is what he's looking forward to. That's it. And that's all he's talking about. That doesn't make me want to vote for him as a suburban mom. So that's who I would target.
0: Right. Run against something, I think, is the core of what we're saying. And I'll just, I'll leave the thought on this. It's maybe a bit of a strained comparison, but. The greatest speech that Ronald Reagan ever gave was when he addressed the nation, and this hits very close to home, uh, for you especially, Paul, when he addressed the nation after the Challenger explosion. And Peggy Noonan, Wall Street Journal columnist, wrote that speech for him. And what she did brilliantly was she had him bring people's minds back to the moment when the astronauts were boarding the Challenger and took their minds away from the horrible image of the explosion. And in a way, kind of a reversal, that's what Joe Biden needs to do here, is his first mandate, well, maybe it's after empathy, is he needs to help people remind themselves of where we were and how disastrous things were under Donald Trump, the management of the pandemic, all the schools closed. Joe Biden got them open. The economy cratered. Joe Biden got it going again. Yes, prices are high. We're struggling. I feel it. I'm thinking about it every day. And Alicia, I agree with you. Donald Trump has no plan for that except more MAGA Republican chaos. And I, it's, I think what scares me about that is I'm not sure it will work, but I do think it's probably the best line we've got. Speaking of Trump chaos, though, here's a fun one for you. Paul, you're a lawyer. How'd you feel about your fellow lawyers spilling the beans on tape? ABC News got many of the tapes of Jenna Ellis and Sidney Powell and Tony Chesborough, Cheeseborough, the cheese. And one of the giving their depositions and one of the things that Jenna Ellis spilled was that senior Trump White House official Dan Scavino told her after the 2020 election that, quote, Donald Trump was not going to leave the White House under any circumstances. In addition to some other things that have emerged, this isn't great for Trump in the legal cases,
1: right? Correct. It's not great for Donald Trump to have his former lawyers who are the inside people on the conspiracy telling us exactly how the conspiracy worked and what Donald Trump knew about it. The juiciest tidbit, that you just talked about, the Dan Scavino statement that we're not going anywhere, we meaning who who knows who, we're not going anywhere no matter what. However, is the most challenging to have admitted in court uh, because it's uh, somebody talking about what somebody else said to them. That is classic hearsay i e if if you want that person's statement, get the person themselves. So Vino may soon be, if he hasn't been subpoenaed already, may soon find himself on the other side of a of a subpoena af, after this. And um he could invoke his Fifth Amendment privileges, which if he's if he gets on the stand, which would be kind of interesting. But that statement, and exploring that statement is really critical. But beyond the Scavino statement, you've got Chucky e. Cheeseboro. You've got that's a good Sidney, one. I like that. Sydney like that. Pound of Flesh Powell, and you've got Jenna Eager Ellis all spilling their guts. You You're know, saying we've
0: got cheese and Kraken. That's even better. Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Let me ask you about this one. Speaking of the cheese, apparently, I agree with you that the most titillating detail was this Dan Scamino thing, but Chase Burrow apparently um, disclosed a previously unreported White House meeting in which he briefed Donald Trump on election challenges in Arizona and summarized the plan to assemble the fake slates of electors. Yeah. Now, this is not gonna be subject to the hearsay rule because Chisbrough, yes, can directly testify to having this conversation. He was part of this conversation. He was speaking in the conversation and he was speaking to Donald Trump. And so he can directly say, he can provide evidence of Donald Trump's awareness of the fake elector scheme. And that is one of the many linchpins of the case here. To speak to me a little bit about this kind of conspiracy, this RICO thing, this seems to me to be, you have overt acts to pull together these fake slates of electors. This is being directly charged in the Georgia case. It's being directly charged in the federal case by Jack Smith. And now you have a witness saying Trump knew all about it. What does that mean to you legally?
1: Well, it's an important piece of evidence. It's not circumstantial evidence. It's direct evidence of Trump's state of mind. The most important defense that Trump has in this whole, whole thing is, well, either I really uh, believed that we won and Biden didn't, Or I really wasn't part of any of these discussions because underlings outside my sphere and outside my control and outside my knowledge were doing things or all of this is protected by the First Amendment. But what Cheeseborough does is he places the capo de capo, Donald Trump, at the place where the capos are, at the top of the pyramid, being briefed by his being briefed by the guys who are doing the dirty work about the dirty work so it makes it really hard for trump to say i didn't know anything about these schemes and and the prosecution will have to show why assembling a state of a slate of fake electors and having them yeah et cetera, et cetera is bad that's a bad thing to do for our democracy for an election to try Trump had to get fake electors to replace the real electors. But it, it, it's smoking gun time for the Donald with that statement. That is a really critical piece of-
0: You think that's- So, because this is what, when we had Barb McQuaid on the show, she said that ability to give direct evidence, tying Trump into the conspiracy around these overt acts. And there are several- It's not just kind of the discussion conspiracy to to, to defraud or to stop an official
1: proceeding.
0: But they broke into an election office and they assembled these fake slates of
1: electors. And there's going to be documentary proof through emails and documents of the fake electors. There are going to be others who will talk about the fake electors. And you could talk all day long about the scheme. But Cheeseborough puts Trump in. As the guy being informed as the leader of the conspiracy about the bad things that they are doing to further the illegal scheme. And and remember, overall, this is how Fannie Willis has done things in the past. She indicts a raft of people. She turns the lower level lower level people with plea deals gets their testimony and then gets the ringleaders. In this case, the the people we've just been talking about, Powell, Cheeseborough, um, and Ellis got probation fines. They have to write apology letters. They're not going to jail. When they get to the stand, they're going to be ruthlessly cross-examined. Oh, you're just lying now because it bought you a sweet deal where you don't have to worry about going to jail. We can't trust your testimony. That'll be the routine kind of ruthless cross-examination about undercutting their testimony. But the details that they have about their interactions with Trump and what Trump knew, I think are pretty overwhelming and clearly true.
2: I read everything I could about this, and I have yet to see a smoking gun. And I was a little disappointed, to be honest. I thought, oh, when I saw the headlines, I'm like, oh, we're going to see the proof. If I'm on a jury, no one tied Trump to anything directly, with the exception of showing the memo on the fake electors in the White House. And that's just one person's word against another's, unless there's evidence that has not been released, which I'm sure there is. But I walk away from this right now going, this isn't that bad for Trump, because no one directly tied him to directing any of these people to do any of it and the only thing directly tied to trump is that he was made aware of the fake slate of electors in arizona and if i'm on a jury and one says i told him this and the other one says he never told me that you're going to need a lot more than that for me to convict
0: let me ask you this though isn't it the core there's a question back to paul legal expert former prosecutor for anyone who forgot that fact of paul's bio it seems to me though that this is the very heart of a RICO prosecution is that you are very rarely able to have testimony saying, the big boss told me to crime. He said, you go out and commit a crime, Tony Chesborough. What you have is he was involved, he was aware, and he is obviously the boss. And therefore, he bears this responsibility. Is that right? I mean,
1: a conspiracy is an agreement among two or more people, uh, to do something illegal. The agreement can be either express, but it doesn't have to be express. It can be implied or implicit, so to speak. So nobody has to say anything. It's often done with a wink and a nod. You got a bunch of, of racketeers in a room and the boss knows that The FBI might be taping them, so he doesn't say a thing. He's just in the room, and he winks, and he nods and holds up fingers. The guy, the underling, comes in later and said, yeah, he didn't need to say anything. He held up his finger. We know what the finger means, and we got the finger. So in this case, Alicia may not be impressed, but as a prosecutor, I'm really excited. I'm drooling over Cheeseborough's testimony because... It's not, it doesn't come in a vacuum. Remember, this case is going to be made by a huge number of details that will be woven together to show uh, Trump's knowledge and agreement that the illegal things be done. How can you argue, just take Cheeseboro's testimony alone. He comes in and tells the capo, here is the illegal thing I'm doing, or is being done in Arizona. And remember, Arizona is just one, what happened in Arizona is just one part of the alleged facts in this conspiracy, which go to Georgia and Arizona and other states. So we've got one piece. And now it's clear that Trump is, he There's nothing in Cheeseborough's statement that suggests that Trump said, wait, that's illegal. You can't do that. Don't do that. So his silence is acquiescence. It's evidence of the agreement that the illegal things be done. The purpose of the illegal agreement, to keep him in office illegally. So, Alicia, I think you may be misunderstanding the value of this a singular piece of evidence. I think it is important, uh, and it does rise for me to smoking gun territory.
0: Although Alicia offers a very important pumping of the brakes as well, which is she's coming at it not from the standpoint of legal expert, but from the standpoint of potential juror. And Mm -hmm. I I mean, Paul, you know better than anyone because you've had to convince our fellow knuckleheaded Americans many times of many things that you just can't account for how jurors will hear things. And it's. I do take it as an interesting data point that while this evidence may be legally significant, it it would seem like a lot might come down to jury instructions from the judge and also how the jurors kind of experience all of this and are they able to sort of take in the totality of this complicated case with all of these moving parts and reach an agreement, unanimous agreement that a guilty verdict is in order. It's interesting. It's just, it's very interesting to me to, to hear the, that. The word, and let's word not forget
2: be- the human factor here is that as much as people, many, most people don't like Donald Trump and people like me who think he probably did something illegal in a few different instances, it will weigh on a juror's mind that they are convicting a former president. That will be a factor for some jurors. But what,
1: the word that Matt used, totality, is a critical concept here because the jury, when all is said and done, will consider the totality of the evidence. And 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 th- remember, this is the first, these are the first statements that we have seen that by insiders, those who put together this plan who were in charge of executing and directing the plan um, for Trump, with Trump, uh, at with Trump's knowledge and agreement. And they're not, I don't think they're going to be the last, uh, but they are the first. And uh, beyond that, what we don't know and haven't seen is the totality of the documents and the emails and all the rest of it that will go along with it, as well as lots of other testimony from lots of other people
0: well that's a great point and one of the things that came up in the episode with barb mcquade which if anyone missed it i urge people to go back it's right in the feed just a few weeks ago and her analysis was great one of the things that she brought up was this concept of willful blindness that's not a defense and i think when you talk about totality paul it does remind me that this evidence is going to be paired with other evidence that trump had to know that he had actually lost, that any reasonable person should have known that he had actually lost. And therefore, the plan to create a fake, or even if you want to euphemize it, like the Washington Post does for no frickin reason, and call it an alternate slate of electors, like alternate facts, the act of doing that was clearly skullduggery, It was clearly criminal and wrong. The act of breaking into the Georgia Elections Office to monkey with the voting machines was illegal. And again, pairing it, I think that's an important point here. So I don't know, both of you are raising interesting points. I love ending a show on you guys both raising interesting points. I'd like to endeavor to do so myself on the way out. We didn't really have time to talk about the Supreme Court's new code of conduct, which I just want to say is bullshit of the highest order. This is a classic example of Chris Matthews, before he was a TV star on a show called Hardball, wrote a book called Hardball. It's whatever else he may have said and done in his career. This book was actually a great practical guide to politics. I urge every young staffer, on campaigns or in Congress to read it because it's full of really useful lessons. One of the chapters is called Always Concede on Principle. So when you've got this issue out here that people don't understand all the details, like Supreme Court justices taking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in perks from shadowy right wing billionaires, and then lo and behold, doing exactly what those billionaires want. and, And then you have people calling for a code of conduct to constrain this kind of behavior. What did John Roberts do? You concede on principle. You say, sure, I'll give you a code of conduct. And then it's a paper thin fig leaf of bullshit. And that's what this is. No teeth, no enforceability. Ginny Thomas gets to keep doing whatever the heck she wants. It is horse manure, but it's also just a great example of hardball people. That's how you play hardball. All right. On that note, for Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you next time.